The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. God says you're to lay aside as God has prospered you, but you have not given anything until you've given yourself. Well, you see, when we've given ourselves, we shall then give God's tithes and our offerings. Now, this will make for costly giving, for it costs something to give ourselves. It means adopting an entirely different outlook on life. It means a new approach to the problem of the budget. It means sacrificing ourselves before we sacrifice anything else. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's Word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the weekly radio outreach, which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's Word, as taught by Dr. Barnhouse, is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we will be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled, The Secret of Giving. When you pay your taxes, do you just send a check for any amount? Of course not. Either you or an accountant uses tax forms and a calculator to figure out exactly what you owe. Although this is the proper way for paying the IRS, it is not the right approach for giving to God. The principle of Christian giving is not a matter of dollars and cents. It involves giving ourselves fully to God. Set aside your checkbook and calculator for a moment and join Dr. Barnhouse for this fascinating study from Scripture. The Scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verses 1 through 9. Our text reads, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Consequently, we urge Titus, that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty, might become rich. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, The Secret of Giving. 
Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank thee for the privilege of giving thee thanks. How gracious thou art, thou who art our God, who hast grown all of the crops on all of the fields of the world, who hast sent the rain and the sunshine, and who hast given us life and health. May we truly glorify thee, our Father, who art in heaven. We ask it in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When I approached the 33rd anniversary of my ministry in the church in Philadelphia, I remarked to another pastor that during this year I had preached for the first and only time a message on giving. His jaw dropped and he said, Why, well, most of us bang away at that subject a lot of the time. Well, there are several reasons why I have never preached sermons urging people to give. But the principal one is that the subject has not fallen naturally within the scope of my Bible teaching ministry. During the first three and a half years at the Philadelphia Church, I preached each Sunday morning on the Epistle to the Romans, and no texts in that book are primarily concerned with stewardship of money. Next, I spoke on the book of Jude for one year and then on the clauses of the Apostles' Creed for six months, and after that I taught the Gospel of John for twelve years. And in none of these books is there any primary teaching on how a believer is to administer his property. When someone asked how we raise money at Tenth Church, I replied that we don't raise it, we give it. Our entire budget has been met through making the announcement in the regular service that we're about to take an offering, and if anyone was not a believer, he was not invited to give, for the offering is like the communion service. It is for believers only. When preparing a series of messages on the theme, First Things First, I studied occurrences of the word first, protos, in the New Testament, and I learned that God has laid down certain priorities which we must adhere to if we're to live as he desires us to live. Now we saw that the Lord must be first. And now when he's first, all that we have and all that we are will be surrendered wholly to him. In Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, there's a great spiritual lesson on the question of a believer's possessions. We know that the world is dominated by the passion to grasp, to get, to keep. But God teaches us that the love of money is the root of all evil. One of the marks of Christian dedication is that a man is no longer possessed by his possessions. Rather, he possesses them. For although some people have their heaven in a bank, the yielded believer has his bank in heaven. Now, the occasion of this teaching in 2 Corinthians was a remarkable outpouring of the Spirit on the churches of Macedonia. The believers learned that there was urgent need among fellow believers in Jerusalem, and they actually begged Paul to take their money to those who were in want. Of these Macedonian Christians, Paul writes, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. J.B. Phillips renders it tellingly in his modern paraphrase. Now, my brothers, we must tell you about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Somehow, in most difficult circumstances, their joy and the fact of being down to their last penny themselves produced magnificent concern for other people. 
I can guarantee that they were willing to give to the limit of their means, yes, and beyond their means, without the slightest urging from me or anyone else. In fact, they simply begged us to accept their gifts, and so let them share the honor of supporting their brothers in Christ. Nor was their gift, as I must confess I had expected, a mere cash payment. Instead, they made a complete dedication of themselves first to the Lord and then to us as God's appointed ministers. And then following this passage in Corinthians, Paul urges the church at Corinth to follow their example. He continues, Now this has made us ask Titus, who has already done so much among you, to complete his task by arranging for you too to share in this work of generosity. Already you are well to the fore in every good quality. You have faith, you can express that faith in words, you have knowledge, enthusiasm, and your love for us. Could you not add generosity to your virtues? I don't want you to read this as an order. It is only my suggestion, prompted by what I have seen in others of eagerness to help. And here is a way to prove the reality of your love. Do you remember the generosity of Jesus Christ, the Lord of us all? He was rich beyond our telling, and yet he became poor for your sakes, so that his poverty might make you rich. And now out of the riches that God has given to us, we are urged to give back to him. The secret of proper giving is that first of all, we give our own selves to him. Of course, there is a giving that is merely philanthropical. It is not from higher motives. The word philanthropy has its roots in the Greek verb to love and the noun man. To give only for the love of man is not true Christian giving. There is no Greek word to indicate that a man gives because he loves God. Perhaps we could call it philotheaki or some other weird term, but perhaps it's weird simply because the world never thinks of giving because of the love of the Lord. Oh, be very suspicious of appeals which promise the giver that his name will be inscribed on a bronze plaque or that the building will be named for him or that the scholarship fund will carry his name. Christ said, Beware of doing your good deeds conspicuously to catch men's eyes, or you will miss the reward of your heavenly Father. So when you do good to other people, don't hire a trumpeter to go in front of you, like those play actors in the synagogues and streets who make sure that men admire them. Believe me, they have had all the reward that they're going to get. Now, when you give to charity, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be secret. Your father, who knows all secrets, will reward you. I know a Christian layman who devotes his time to working in all the churches of his denomination to encourage faithful stewardship and to help increase giving. One day he commented to me on the custom in church services of saying, we shall now receive your tithes and offerings. He said, why couldn't we teach the ministers to say, we shall now receive God's tithes and your offerings? But someone will protest, surely you know that we're living in the age of grace and that the tithe is not a part of the New Testament practice. We're to give as God has prospered us. 
Well, this is technically correct, but it does not justify a person in spending more on himself than he should. We can never give properly until we stop thinking in terms of our possessions and think instead in terms of the sacrifice which our Lord made for us. He gave his all that we might have everything. He became poor that we might become rich. We can never know the depths of poverty to which he subjected himself. At the time of Mary's purification after the birth of Jesus, Luke records that she and Joseph could afford only the least expensive of the sacrifices ordained by the law for this ceremony. Some brought bullocks, some brought lambs, but they were able to bring nothing more than the doves. And the Lord Jesus himself said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Our Lord was reproached, derided, mocked, despised for us, for he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Through Solomon in the book of Proverbs, God says to the believer, my son, give me, not your money, but my son, give me your heart. And when you give God your heart, everything else that you have will be his also. Any religion that presents the philosophy, God is my partner, or that promises success if the individual can hypnotize himself into positive thinking is a religion which dishonors God. Such a philosophy regards God only as a means to promote the selfish ambitions and desires of men. It does not exalt him as the Lord God Almighty, who owns us and who has the right to everything we possess because it comes from him in the first place. And this is the philosophy of one who gives money to charitable causes without first having given his heart to God, even if he pays a tenth he still has given nothing. But again, someone objects, there you go talking about the tithe in the age of grace. Don't you know that the tithe was the Old Testament income tax and that in Solomon's day, part of it was spent to support his harem as well as for the maintenance of the temple? And to this I answer that every believer pays his tithe to God in one way or another. I've heard a Christian say, Look at that moth hole in my coat. It's ruined. The new coat will cost me $50. Well, that was the $50 the Lord whispered to you to give, and you did not give it. God says you're to lay aside as God has prospered you. But you have not given until you have given the tithe, and you haven't given anything until you've given yourself. I once saw a cartoon of a farmer who had nine potatoes in one pile and one by itself marked for the Lord. The caption read, I don't see how a man could be mean enough to give less. Well, you see, when we've given ourselves, we shall then give God's tithes and our offerings. Now, this will make for costly giving, for it costs something to give ourselves. It means adopting an entirely different outlook on life. It means a new approach to the problem of the budget. It means sacrificing ourselves before we sacrifice anything else. Nate Saint, who was killed by the Alca Indians on a sand strip beside a river in Ecuador, wrote the following in his diary. Missionaries constantly face expendability, 
and people who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives. They forget that when their lives are spent and the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they've wasted. Some might say, isn't it a too great a price to pay? When missionaries consider themselves, their lives before God, they consider themselves expendable. And in our personal lives as Christians, isn't the same thing true? Isn't the price small in the light of God's infinite love? Those who know the joy of leading a stranger to Christ and those who have gone to tribes who have never heard the gospel gladly count themselves expendable and they count it all joy. Those early believers in Macedonia understood how to participate in the love of God by giving themselves and then their goods. Spiritually, they had the attitude of an investor who goes to a friend who's on the inside of the stock market and who says of some business opportunity, can you let me have a few shares at 10 in this stock that's going to be 100 and then it's going to split and then go on to another 100 and split again? The Macedonians understood this principle and they were laying up for themselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Now, two other phrases in the context of 2 Corinthians 8 need to be examined. Paul says that these Macedonian believers gave themselves to him and he tells the Corinthians to consider doing likewise. He was urging not a commandment of the Holy Spirit, but only a spiritual approach. Look at these two as being two sides of the same thing. The Macedonians could not assess the need in Jerusalem. They had to believe Paul's word. He told them of the need, and they responded because they had confidence in him. Oh, it's so unfortunate that people give more readily to support a person than to support a work. And the result is that some missionaries are overfinanced because they have attractive personalities and a glib tongue and know how to write a good newsletter or tell a fascinating missionary tale. Other missionaries who stammer and hesitate when on the public platform and who are unable to write the tear-jerking, money-getting reports are passed over when the missionary budget is made up. And yet, on the mission field, this less impressive missionary is doing a powerful work among those to whom he ministers. Now, one of the duties of the faithful pastor, and I consider myself pastor to many on the radio, is to keep his people informed of which causes are proper for the missionary dollar and which are not. Sometimes people give from motives of sentimentality rather than testing the cause to see whether it is one to which they should give the Lord's money. Some time ago, a friend showed me the list of causes to which she was contributing. I was absolutely horrified when I saw the names of certain organizations which had got her on their lists. It was evident that her name and address had been sold to these organizations by some other group. Believe me, if you receive an appeal in the mail from a group of which you have never even heard, you can be sure that somebody has sold your name to that group. The Macedonians gave themselves to the Lord and to Paul. And as a result, their money got 
to the needy in Jerusalem. It was not sidetracked to some diverse work that was unsupervised, uncontrolled, and headed by irresponsible people. The other side of this text is that Paul advised them. He did not command them. He did not declare that all their gifts must be channeled through him. Instead, he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. In other words, the Holy Spirit must tell you what you are to do, through whom you should channel money, and where and how it's to be spent. But God has given you pastors in order that you may not be tricked by your emotions and deceived into giving to that which is carnal rather than spiritual. They first gave themselves. Oh, how this transforms life. A great example of Christian giving took place in a church in an African tribe. In that particular church, the people do not have much cash, and so they give their garden produce. The offering plate is a large bowl, a great wooden bowl, into which the believers put gifts of manioc root or manioc flour. All who are bringing that product put it into the bowl until it is filled with manioc, and then the bowl is emptied for the second round of giving, which may be cocoa beans or coffee beans or some other product. One Sunday morning, after the bowl had been emptied for the last time, there came a man who had been healed of leprosy. Because of his physical handicaps, he had been unable to do much work, and everyone wondered what he could offer. He walked to the bowl, stepped into it, and squatted down, thus giving everyone to understand that he was presenting himself to the Lord. In giving himself, he was giving all. Shall we follow his example? The Lord is calling you to give yourself. Will you withhold the gift? Let us sing the old hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had done he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in, when he, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness, and melt my eyes to tears. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. And we ask thee, our God and Father, that thou shalt use this in this hour, that we may be indeed given to thee, to know thee better, to love thee more, and then to receive thyself in return. Hear us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
When our hearts and lives are fully given to Jesus Christ, only then can we know the full measure of His love, grace, and blessings. We should be moved to give ourselves gladly and gratefully to God when we realize how much it cost Him to give His only begotten Son for our salvation. If you would like to review today's message and additional teachings by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, you can hear these broadcasts anytime, anywhere around the globe via the Internet. The Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible Real Audio Internet website is accessible by visiting Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals online at www.alliancenet.org. Log on to this week's message entitled, The Secret of Giving. An audio copy of today's teaching is also available by calling us toll-free 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, The Secret of Giving, message number Q115. We would also like to make available to you a complimentary copy of Dr. Barnhouse's booklet entitled, First Things First. This six-chapter booklet is a study on Christian priorities. If we are to live a successful Christian life, then what are the most important concepts and priorities that we need to grasp concerning God's sovereignty, His Word, the Lordship of Christ, witnessing, fellowship, and repentance? This booklet could easily be read in a short amount of time, but its teachings and applications will last a lifetime. Ask for your complimentary copy of First Things First when you call or write. When you call or write, you may also request a free catalog of all of Dr. Barnhouse's books and audio teachings. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview, drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformed theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. If you would like more information on the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, or if you would like to support and further our work, contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103, or call toll-free. 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at www.alliancenet.org Join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.